Okay, we're reading from Ephesians chapter 1, 1 to 14, and we're on page 1173. These are some of the most encouraging verses in the Bible, and it's great to be able to read them and uh, understand them and uh, absorb them for the truth that's in them. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good to be with you. My name is Mike Sams. If I didn't meet you this morning, I'm a pastor at Grove. I'm looking forward to this series in Ephesians. Uh, As Jack mentioned, the booklet, um, please grab one. Feel free to go up and grab one now or a Bible if you'd like. And you'll also notice there in the last Sunday of the month, we have our annual general meeting. That'll be straight after the service. And that would be um, really great. If you're a part of Grover, even if you've just come for the first time and you want to find out what goes on and how we run things, um, it'll be really worthwhile um, sticking around for that. Um, and on that day as well, we will be um, talking about and giving you a, a real clear update on what's going to happen next year and how we're moving forward with that and, and what we need to be praying about and doing as a church. So can I encourage you to keep that in your prayers and to think about um, uh, that as well. Uh, now let's uh, get into the, this great passage. As Frank said, it's one of those most encouraging passages. Uh, often it's said that Romans chapter 8 is the best chapter in the New Testament. If there's a chapter to rival it, I would say it's this one, and I would probably pick this one, but I'm a bit biased to Ephesians. So I want us to get stuck into it and wrestle with it and get our heads around why it is so fantastic. 
Uh, you'll see there's an outline there on page five, if that's helpful uh, for you to, come, uh, to go along. Uh, it's a bit more uh, detailed uh, and clearer than last week's, which was completely wrong. So let's uh, get into it. I'm going to pray, and then we'll think through this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can come together as your people and wrestle with the, all of this term for 10 weeks, this spectacular book in Ephesians, where we see there's a new way of living in, in Christ. Help us today as we see the beginning where Paul, in his beautiful poem, uh, outlines uh, what life's all about. Help us by your spirit to be transformed by it. Amen. Well, your identity. Where do you get it from? Where does it come from? What do you identify with? We all have lots of different ways of going about it, lots of different ways of thinking through where we belong, what matters to us. When someone says your name, they associate these are the things that matter to him. What is it that you get your identity in? Sometimes it goes awry. Uh, No bigger example of uh, a disastrous scandal in the recent time is the Essendon Football Club. The disaster that they had a couple of years ago and the massive drug scandal that happened, and if you're not aware, you don't really need to know the details to understand where we're going today or, and, or care about football for that matter. But what happened was they got caught cheating in a big way and, and using drugs to try and enhance um, performance and it caused them to, all their players got suspended for a year pretty much. And the scandal around their superstar, one of the greatest players of all time. There's probably someone here who James Heard was one of your all-time favourite players. He was amazing. The fall from grace was huge. And he suffered depression. depression, And, and it's, it's all well publicised. As he said, everyone knows what's happened, happened to me and he, him overdosing. But not only that, the assistant that took the reins when all this happened, um, Bomber Thompson, who won two premierships um, as the coach of Geelong and is this amazing coach and won premierships as captain of Essendon, pinnacle of their, of their uh, uh, sport, their profession, if you like, uh, is facing charges for drug possession in a big way and his life has spiralled out of control. And it's disastrous. It's absolutely disastrous. What The reason why I bring this up, though, isn't to t- talk about uh, sport or to talk about how bad these guys are. It's to um, let you know of what um, James Hurd said this week. Um, I've got the quote up on the screen reflecting on hit, what's happened to him and to um, Bomber Thompson. He said, Football, rightly or wrongly, was our identity. Over time, the controversy stripped away our identity, our value and our worth. When people do that to you, you are vulnerable to go down a path that maybe you wouldn't have gone down otherwise. They're really interesting words to reflect on. He owned the fact that their whole life was about football, rightly or wrongly. And if you take the thing that matters to you most 
that you've given all your life to, that everything matters about, if you strip that away, whether it's your fault or not your fault, or in any way you strip that away, what you're left with is the potential for disaster. What matters to you? I am... I've known of a previous uh, a, a chaplain um, in one of the state uh, cricket uh, teams, the, the, the state chaplain. And the people that he would spend most time dealing with and helping and encouraging wasn't the actual state players, it was the guys on the fringes who had given their whole life up to that point, their whole 25 years to make it, and they've had that final injury or they've had that one moment where they realise they're not going to get picked ever. They're not going to do it and they put everything into it and their lives, they've got nothing left. Now the reality is, the reality is we can take down celebrity, we can uh, mock sportsmen, which (laughs) that's what we do, we love to take them down. But when we think about our lives, when we think about the millions and millions and millions of humans who actually have an identity and go through this crisis just in their own personal life or in their own sphere of existence, this can be all too familiar. Instead of being a successful sportsman or an amazing pop star, You just want to be really good at the profession you've gone to uni at. And you just can't pass your course. You just can't get through and you've got to do something else. Or whatever else it may be, we can be on the brink in trying to realise where we belong. Whether our identity is completely and utterly wrapped up in our family in our work, and you may know that if you've been told that you're a workaholic. You might be just as good as Bomber Thompson and James Hurd in what you do. It's just not a public thing. But you can't do it anymore. You just want to have a good, happy life, but your health is failing and you can't even think straight anymore. How do we figure out our identity? Well, the book of Ephesians and this chapter which kicks us off is about God's story that shapes our story. God's vision, his great purpose, as I've called this talk today, God's great purpose shapes what our identity is. And unlike any other identity you want to come up with and things that you want to own, this is unshakable, unbreakable and goes on into eternity if you want to own it. And so that's what I want us to see today, God's great big purpose. And to do that, I think we've got to actually do a bit of hard work as well. I think you picked up on that passage, it wasn't just God's good, love Jesus, he died for you, Oh, it's all nice. It was pretty meaty, right? But when you get to the meat, gee, meat tastes good if you savour it, right? 
when you have a nice big bit of steak and you just don't hoof it down but you eat it and you, maybe you go to um, Andrew's restaurant and he cooks a nice steak and it's really... Do you cook nice steaks? Yeah, good. <laughs> Does Joel or not yet? Not yet, okay, good. <laughs> get Andrew to cook it for you. Right. You get a nice steak and you eat it and it's succulent and juicy and you appreciate it way more. When we stop and put the effort in, we can appreciate what God's done for us more. And so let's have a look at this book. Uh, we're going to have question time today. You can fire any question at me. I know you'd, you'd have lots of questions if you were willing to ask them. You can just text me. My number's on the front in the booklet there somewhere. Um, but let's have a look. See, the book of Ephesians um, is Paul the Apostle, the Apostle to the Gentiles, to those that aren't Jews, and he's writing to the, he's writing to this city in Ephesus. Ephesus is a really important place. It's a really important place because it was like this trade center where all these ports and everything came through. And what actually happened at this place was all the kind of cultures of the world that were around and it was kind of an ethnic, um, multi-ethnic hot pot of different cultures and people coming together. And in, um, and we know, uh, that Paul went there because we actually have it in the Bible. It's not just something we try and uh, kind of pulled together. In Acts chapter 19, we get the context, the background to what actually happened. Paul went there, planted church in this city and was there for a, for a good time. And as this church is figuring out how do we follow Jesus when we're all coming from very, very different backgrounds, how do we figure this out? A couple of years later, Paul writes this letter, a few years later. And he writes this letter, not just from his... Uh, palatial home on in some resort somewhere he's on house arrest in rome in 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 prison and he writes some of his letters there and he wrote this one to the to the city to the church of ephesus so let's have a look at it and let's see god's uh, vision and to do that i think we need to start off with verse three and see that god gives spiritual blessing Uh, it's up there on the screen Verse 3, he starts off with after he's said hello, done a very typical intro in verses 1 to 2, um, there's a grace and peace, um, which fits in nicely with the letter. He says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly, heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul starts the letter and he says to them, God is good, we're going to praise him. Because he is blessed. He has given you favour. And it's an eternal favour. The heavenly realms are all-compassing. The spiritual favour of God. The all-compassing favour of God. It's not just something that uh, means you'll get a car out of it. That, uh, or maybe a horse or some kind of modern transportation back then. I'm not sure they had cars. But the, um, it's not material in that sense. It, God does bless us in that way. But here he's saying, blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. This goes far beyond a few dollars in your pocket. He is saying God gives his people spiritual blessing. What word haven't I mentioned yet as you look through that passage, that, that verse? Every spiritual blessing. 
It's a very important little word there for the church to hear, I, I suspect. God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Why is that important? It's because Tyson, Tim, Corolla had the same blessing. All of us who love Jesus have the same blessing in Christ, every spiritual blessing in Christ. This is not to a select group. There is no spiritual blessing rankings in God's people. There is not a ranking where you have greater spirituality and greater blessing from God than someone else when it comes to understanding what the ultimate blessing of God is. And if you've encountered that in the past, if you've wrestled with that, if you're trying to wrestle with that through, you see in verse 3 here, God gives his people every spiritual blessing. It's not hyperbole. It is clearly God making a great, uh, God giving us something he's always promised. And Paul wants the Ephesians to know that. It's helpful for us not to think that, to look at someone else and to think, wow, God has spiritually blessed them greater than me. Some, they've got something that I don't have. And that there's a greater ranking. And as we wrestle with thinking this through, what are the spiritual blessings? I don't know if that was your question. Because we can come up with all sorts of things. I wonder what we think. What, what are the spiritual blessings? What could they be? They could be, uh, oh, I don't know, a, a greater warmer fuzzy feeling. They could be a greater intellect. They, well, we don't have to try and come up with them because Paul outlines them for us. Look at verse, what he says in verse from verse 4, 4. And that 4 carries with it. Every spiritual blessing in Christ, here it is. This is the spiritual blessing. And what he does is he outlines how God has made you uh, his own. And, and he looks at it from different aspects and he highlights it. And they work in a very succinct and clear, structured way. They're not just thrown together. I've kind of highlighted them there with some colours. I've got to be carried away with colours this week. Um, but you can see them there on the screen, right? On different aspects. He chose us. That's the bit you can't see if it's because I did it in yellow. That was dumb wise. Uh, he predestined us, which we'll get to in a moment. His grace, his glorious grace, which you can't help but see Ephesians kind of makes a big deal of. And then he redeems us, not just redeems us, it's through his blood, it's the death of Jesus. When it comes to spiritual blessing, everyone receives Jesus' death on your behalf. And therefore, there's forgiveness of sins. And the forgiveness of sins, we see, means there's a relationship that's possible. Every spiritual blessing. Spiritual blessing is this, to be part of the family of God in a profound way. So let's understand this a little bit more. Let's unpack this for a moment. And for some of you, I don't know where you're at with God, whether you think it all makes sense, whether you believe in it, um, whether you understand it, but you, you, you don't get these ideas. Don't worry if even today it's still confusing for you. 
God wants us to continue to wrestle with his word, even when we've got to not completely understand it straight away. But what all of us can take away today, God has a purpose and you can understand your identity in him. So let's pull it out a bit further. First of all, he says he chose us. That's not too hard to get our heads around. It's God, God saying, I actually am in control and I pick. I choose. And so when someone loves Jesus and follows Jesus, God doesn't go, oh, well, I, oh, I didn't want that to happen. I, that's, that's out of my control. He is in complete and utter control. But it's not just a choosing, and this is where it gets a little bit more uh, complex for us. And if you've ever been um, a Christian at university or a young adult or in that phase, you usually at some point go through a discussion on predestination. It just kind of seems to be a rite of passage. He says, in love, he predestined us. Now, what does that word mean? Now, first of all, you can't say, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in predestination because it's in the Bible. The question is, what do we think it actually means? That's the challenge, right? And what does it actually mean? So, the way I think we're going to do this to, to help understand it is, I'm going to get some chairs. All right, so we've got now, before the creation of the world, and into the future. So, we said God chooses us, but it's not really a time thing, right? But when we read in, um, in, in here, in verse 4, when he says he chooses us, he kind of describes what predestination is. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. So that before anything um, existed in the world, God had in his mind and his control what would happen. And that determining of everything that happens and his sovereignty, his control happens here before the creation of the world. The reason that I love Jesus is not a surprise to God. He knew it back here. That's what predestined means. And there's no other way around it. Now, it means our minds kind of get blown and it raises all sorts of questions, you know, aren't we just robots then and all that kind of stuff. And we can think about those things, but that doesn't mean that we change the meaning of something. Okay, And so we've got, here we have, before the creation of the world, God knows what's going to happen. He determines that everything's in his control. That is what it is. Here we have now, and we have into the future. Now, the problem is, sometimes some people, to, to figure that out, try to figure out what does, this actually, what does it actually mean. It doesn't actually mean God just stayed here and made a decision. What God did is he went into the future, into the now, and even into beyond now, into all of time, and he looked and saw what decisions people made. And when he saw what decisions they made in the time past, knowing what they'd make kind of outside of him, he chooses them. The problem with that, well, maybe it's a good a, a good a, a good attempt, we're just not, but maybe it's an attempt to, to explain something that's really challenging, is it's not actually what the word means. And God can't do that. Because the problem is, if God has to look into the future to make a decision, 
we've actually destroyed one of the greatest things about God. One of the most important things we say about God over and over and over again. That he is in complete control, he is sovereign over Lord things and nothing is outside of his power. If he has to look into the future to, to see what someone else is going to do, we're destroying the very character of God. And so what we actually have to see is God has actually predestined us in that way. Now, I would hope that you're really confused. Right? Now, I don't, I don't want you to be confused by the concept. I hope that I've, I've had a crack at trying to explain it clearly for you. Where I want your confusion to be is, how is that possible? What does that mean? What does that mean for how it relates to God? A little bit like the Trinity, right? We know that God is um, a one God, three persons. But come on, I've got no way of understanding that. It's too confusing, but it's our God and it helps us understand that he's a relational God. I, I know it to be true and while I can't understand all of it, um, in, in how it works, it doesn't, it doesn't destroy the reality of it. So what, why tell us this though? Well, uh, a bit of it comes out of next week. I don't want to give too much away with next week, but just have a look back in the passage in verse 4. In love. The number one reason that the Bible constantly tells us about election and chosen and predestined is because it's God's great act of love. Why is it an act of love? Because he's determined to make us his children, to adopt us into his sonship, as it says there, by his will. And it's the only way that it can happen because of our sinfulness, our depravity. If you go to chapter 2, Verse 1, flick there. I haven't got it in front of me, so you have to tell me. What are, what's humanity like in one word? Dead. Our problem is so bad, if we had to do it ourselves in some way outside of God, we're so dead, we can't even actually uh, make, make the choice. Our problem is so bad. So out of love, God deals with it for us. And so wrapped up with grace. If you're going to talk about grace, you're only one step behind understanding God's behind it all. Feel free to throw me a question and think it through. Um, but what I what don't want us to ever do is to kind of lessen God's word because we want to resolve a really hard concept. I'll, I'll get to there at the end as well because there's something really great about get, wrapping your head around that a bit later. The next one feels a lot more comfortable to me there. You've got redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, right? That the beautiful thing about what God's done for us, okay? Now, if you didn't understand that whole predestined thing at all and you've got to wrestle with it, but you're wanting to understand, how do I relate to God? This is a lot easier concept. Redemption, which we've talked about a lot. I'm sure many of you can say it. Redemption is to be pulled out of slavery, okay? And our state before God is that we're in slavery, that is, we've rejected him and we can't do anything to follow him. We're in such slavery that he redeems us. And the way that happens, the great paradox, the great upside down way, this king dies for us. His blood 
instead of your blood. And if that's happened, you can be forgiven. So where are you at with God? God's blessing to his people at its very core is that no matter what your life has been like, that your crisis in your identity is gone, you can be forgiven by God. In fact, he offers forgiveness because Jesus died for you. It's extraordinary. It is the riches of his grace, as it says in verse 7. God's grace is so important to understand. And if you want to understand what it is to love Jesus, what it is to follow him at its basic level, Paul thinks it's so important next week, the whole time, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, is about God's grace and how you're saved. And so we have God's grace. You know, you know how I, on the odd occasion, like to show you a video for the Bible Project? I've done it maybe once or twice, right? <laughs> it's, it's because what they have done is they've scratched an itch that I don't think anyone's done before in a way that's just so great to communicate. That these concepts we can talk about, but the way you understand them more is by understanding how they fit into the whole Bible. How God's uh, uh, understanding, how God chooses, comes, you know, he, he, made, he chose to make us. He chose Abraham. From Abraham, he chooses all these people, all these kings. And you understand what it means, an election means through that. Redemption. God's sacrifice. All of the Old Testament reveals how sacrifices work. That redemption, the great story of the Exodus. If you understand the book of Exodus in detail, you understand what we should be hoping our redemption should be like. And then it points through the story, we see how they go back into slavery, they go to Babylon, and God promises a great redemption. And so those guys, those videos give us something that's a lot harder harder for us to do, um, but we can see how God's word traces throughout the whole Bible. So, you're still with me? Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe I should, you're still with me? Good, okay. It, thanks, Maddie. All right. See, this, this stuff's really, I think it was Maddie, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, good, yeah. <laughs> um, this, is, this stuff's all fantastic, but what's it got to do with God's purpose and vision? Well, all of these blessings, they bring about God's one big plan. Have a look through that passage and can anyone tell me what happens over and over and over again? What little phrase, and it's got a few, a few ways it's said a little bit differently. But what words are just said over and over and over again? In Him. In Him. We talked about that on Friday, y'all. That wasn't Him being mad. <laughs> we talked about that on Friday, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in Him. In him, verse, uh, verse, in Christ, verse 3. Verse 4, in him before the creation of the world. Uh, verse 6, in the one he loves. Verse 7, in him. Verse 9, in Christ. Verse 11, in him. Verse uh, 13, in him. I'm picking up a theme. God's people are to be 
intimately in a relationship with Jesus. And so, we see verse 10 with a new lens and a new idea. Have a look at what he says in verse 10. I'll pick it up um, from halfway through verse 8. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the time reaches their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Do I have that up on a slide? I hope I did. Maybe I didn't. I didn't? That's all right. See verse 10, if you've got it in front of you. Let me read it again. There it is. To bring fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God's big picture plan, his great purpose, that everything, not just some things, all of the universe comes under the King, His Son, Lord Jesus. This whole human project of God's is about this. Surprisingly, it's not about you. You have a big part to play in it. You're an image bearer of God, but it's actually about Jesus. To bring unity to all things. That God's people are concerned about togetherness, harmony in Jesus. It's the priority of all the priorities we see there. And that's quite amazing because I think in our desire to want to have um, ourselves and other people here, you need to believe in Jesus so you can get to heaven. If we just keep saying that, we kind of lose. Actually, God's big purpose picture, which that fits into, is that he wants everything under the authority and power of Jesus. It's quite spectacular. If you see that as the main point of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, if you see that as the main point of God's plan over the whole Bible, his plan for us, we have our eyes opened and it does actually mean we have a new way of living. We are new humans in the way we live and in many ways the rest of our time in Ephesians is about understanding it in the first part in chapters 1 to 3 and then really talking about what does that look like? What does unity look like in Jesus? How do we live with each other? How do we engage with the world? What are Christian households like? Because this matters to God. And so if anything you take away today is to broaden your eyes from beyond just thinking I need to love Jesus, but I actually want to be uh, unified to him in all things and long for everything to come under him. All of these blessings that we've seen make that possible because we are made right with God again through them. We're made alive. 
we'll see next week, dead, made alive, so we can be under Christ in harmony. Spectacular. So, how do we respond to this vision? Well, there's another theme that runs through this passage, which, uh, which actually is the expression of if we truly do believe that everything's under Christ. It starts off right at the beginning in the spiritual blessings that we talked about right at the top. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise. Praise right at the start. Verse 6, as we've talked about um, his love, his predestining us, making us son, uh, 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 sons in Christ, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, now this, is, this is really interesting. He says in verse 11, in him we were also chosen and be predestined. And then in verse 12, he talks about in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ. He's talking about Jesus came first to his, uh, his people, the Jews, the actual um, uh, bloodline descendants of Abraham. He came to the Jews first and Paul as a Jew is saying, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. That is, you praise and glorify God. And then he talks in Ephesus to all those who aren't. Verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, just as they've received it, you receive it the same way. And so you you read on a little bit further, and then then you see uh, in verse 14 that the Holy Spirit is a seal and guaranteeing their salvation. So what do they need to do as well? The end of verse 14, to the praise of his glory. All of humanity responds to God's vision of everything being united to Christ with a passion for praise and glorifying God. I think... I think we got that right when we said we exist for God's glory. Because that is what we see we do. So how do we wrap this up as we kind of draw it in for what it means for us? Well, we have a new way of living. A new identity shaped by God's purpose. as we started at the beginning. If we take on this identity, there's no scandal in your life. There's no bad behaviour of yours, bad behaviour of someone else towards you. There is no war. There is no financial crisis in the world or in your life. There is no health problems. There is no injury. There is no failure at work. There is no getting sacked from work that you love that can take away this identity. Not even death can because it's everything under Christ into all eternity. Can you see why this chapter is so grand and how you are to take it on board and love it and embrace it as your very own? And so I just want to simply ask you, do you want this identity? You may not have understood a lot of that yet. A lot to wrestle with. Of course we should have a lot we don't understand. We're talking about the God of the universe who has made all things and is in control of everything. How are we going to understand everything all the time? But what you can understand today 
is that you can be identified with Jesus through his death for you. He has pulled you back, redeemed you, and you just respond to that. You respond to his grace by trusting in him. You can indeed do that today, even if you're still not clear on all of how it works. What you can also do, though, is come next week and hear the clarity of Paul honing in on God's grace and seeing, ah, that's the difference. That's how I come into this relationship. You can come to our life course that's coming up in the first uh, week of June in which we just sit down and clarify what is the meaning of life and just chat it through. It's a really great time. But for all of us, we have a new way of living, a new identity. And I think that means finally with three things that I just want to allude to which will come out throughout the rest of the series. Praise matters. And I'm not just talking about singing. I'm not just talking about when we come together. I'm talking about how we wrestle with our affections towards God. I'm definitely talking about those things, by the way. But how we, how we manage our affections towards God. Do we thank Him? Do we create a culture of joy and thankfulness? Do we want to glorify Him, acknowledge Him, thank Him for what He has done for us? even when our very selves struggle to do that emotionally. It is not okay to say, I'm not the type of person who likes to praise. I, I could say that. I could say I'm not the type of person who likes to praise. But there's times in my life that other things that are really unimportant where I have praised pretty hard. Let me tell you, I've yelled pretty excitedly at the television over the year a few times when my teams have won things or another matter of things, right? I have done that because... It matters. It might not come naturally to us, but that's just God reshaping us because we're new humans now. And maybe that's the thing he reshapes in you. You don't like singing? No, you actually do if you actually want to be a a follower of Jesus because we honour him in praise. doesn't mean we, we don't all express it in different ways and sing in different ways. Of course. That's one of the dangers we can get into. Praise matters because it's what we do into all eternity. Just look at the throne room in Revelation to make that point. We're created to praise. Secondly, don't settle for watered-down cordial appreciation. That is, do you, do you like, ever, as a kid, drink cordial or at sporting the One of the things that drives me, oh, I hate, is watered-down cordial that's not strong enough. You know, you, oh, it's awful, isn't it? It's just awful, but it's still cordial and it's still, you're getting it, but it's just watered down. It's not, you know, we want, we want full, forget the water, just all the cordial and just take it in, right? That's what we want with God's word. That's what we want to do with Ephesians. We want to lap it up. We want to wrestle with it. We don't want to shirk back from understanding big concepts and ideas. We want to glorify God and glorifying God means we're passionate about understanding his word and going hard into places we don't understand. We don't say, oh, I'm not very smart, I can't pursue... Whatever, what's that got to do with it? Or you, you're really smart, so you constantly go way beyond. Well, that's not helpful either. We, we, we wrestle with helping ourselves to understand what God's Word means and encouraging one another in it. Lastly, the most important thing, I think, 
and the thing that we'll see come out over and over and over again and to be honest should really challenge us really challenge our our community really shape the way we think we do even future church planning the way we think how we relate to each other and i'm going to say unity matters in christ I never thought I'd say this, but Ephesians is not about grace. It's primarily about unity. How we think about others, how we relate to them is going to get brought up time and time and time again. It's unity, not just in whatever we want to do. Let's just be happy. Let's not talk about the things that divide us. No, we're unified in Jesus. We can't be unified if one of us says Jesus isn't God and the other one says he is, but that's okay. We can be happy to get, we can be friends, we can treat each other well, but we're not unified because we have one massive problem. We're unified in Christ. So actually, grace is needed because it's only God's grace that makes that possible. Grace is the only thing that can bring us hopeless humans who constantly divide ourselves and constantly say, we can just come together and never do. It's the only thing that can bring us together. God is the only one that can truly unify us. And our prayer is that we will see that in Christ and we will be transformed more and more by it over the coming weeks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this spectacular passage. We pray your spirit will truly help us to understand things we haven't understood before, that your spirit will truly help us to see that everything is about being centered around Jesus. Help us to be a people of praise. Help us to be a people who bring glory and honor to you. Amen.